This is episode 238 with functional movement expert, author, and amazing athlete, Kate Galliette. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and this episode is a holistic look at staying healthy, understanding your body, how to learn to speak your body's language, improving your tissue tolerance, and experimenting with movement and breathing to become a more well-rounded runner. Our guest is movement expert and author Kate Galliette, whom I had the pleasure of coaching alongside with at an adult fitness retreat back in 2015. Now, if you're new to the Strength Running Podcast, this show features training conversations, coaching calls, and experts in the running space to elevate your thinking about the sport. I want you to make wiser decisions about your training so that you can keep improving. Because if you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. But Strength Running is not just a podcast. Don't miss our growing YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos on effective strategies to stay healthy, my favorite strength routines, training principles that never go out of style, and more. Go to youtube.com slash strengthrunning, subscribe, and you'll see every video that we publish. And of course, strengthrunning.com is where it all began. Since 2010, we've been helping runners around the world level up their training, race faster, prevent more injuries, and get stronger. You'll find our award-winning blog with topics as varied as the top mistakes runners make in the weight room, why you've hit a performance plateau, and more. You'll also find our free email courses on strength training, nutrition, injury prevention, and improving your mindset. Plus, all of Strength Running's training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. You can see all of those at strengthrunning.com coaching. This episode is brought to you by Inside Tracker, one of the most reputable blood testing companies in the world. They test dozens of biomarkers so you know if there are any red flags with your physiology that might be hampering your running. Then they give you science-backed recommendations to improve anything that might be outside of your personal optimal range. Get 25% off any of their blood tests with code STRENGTHRUNNING at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning. Now that code STRENGTHRUNNING, there's no space in the middle there. And you can see all the details at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning. We're also supported by Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes AG1. I love this stuff. It's a category-leading greens mix that has 75 vitamins and minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, antioxidants, and adaptogens. To make taking control of your health even easier, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Jason, and you can choose from either a single purchase or a monthly drop. I try to have one serving every day of AG1 to help me cover my bases and for a nice boost of midday energy. You can see all the details at athleticgreens.com slash Jason. I also want to thank Boise Hero for their review of the podcast in Apple Music. They wrote, as a new runner, I have grown very recently to love the sport. Because of this, I have gone back to the first episode and listened to every single one. I have taken bits and pieces as my running has evolved and keep plugging and playing with what works for me from what I'm hearing. Fantastic podcast to run to, as well as my favorite running podcast. Boise Hero, thank you so much for this review. What you're getting at is that I try to make almost every episode of this show evergreen, which means that it's always going to be valuable today, tomorrow, or five years from now. Sports science doesn't change that quickly, so if you're ever curious if I've covered a certain topic, there's a good chance that I have in the prior 237 episodes. All right, my guest today is Kate Galliette. After getting her degree in exercise science, she received multiple certifications as a personal trainer in functional movement and in mobility. She now works with a whole wide range of athletes, helping them get stronger, stay healthy, and become unbreakable. Her book, Becoming Unbreakable, How to Build a Body You Love to Live In, is now available. Kate is also an accomplished outdoorswoman, rock climber, hunter, skier, and hiker. Our conversation today focuses on how endurance runners can leverage their understanding of their own body to work with it 
rather than against it and reduce our likelihood of getting hurt. We discuss things like breathing, stress, tension, and how your body is an ecosystem. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Kate Galliette. All right, Kate, welcome to the show. It's so good to be chatting with you after so long. I think uh, we first met, what, back in 2015? Mm-hmm, that's right. We were at Camp Nerd Fitness. I know, it was wonderful to meet you then and to reconnect with you now, and I'm so thankful that you invited me to come have a chat with you on your podcast. Yes, well, I noticed recently that you published your book, Becoming Unbreakable, so congratulations. I think it covers topics that I'm personally very passionate about, and I think it's going to be really beneficial for our listeners. So let's dive in. Thank you. Yes. So I want to start by addressing whether it's too late for some athletes to address their problems, their aches and pains, any chronic injuries that they might have. Uh, And I'm asking because I think a lot of runners in particular who have chronic injuries or pain that seems to be consistent in certain areas of their body, and they resign themselves to believing that this is just how it's going to be now. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I completely understand it. And I worried that that was true for me, myself, two decades ago. In reality, though, it's actually never too late for us to change our bodies and how they feel and how they operate and what they can do. And to understand why that's true, you have to understand a principle I call the signal response principle. Um, And this is really how I open my book and what I start with my clients when I work with them. We start here because if you don't grasp this and get on board with it, everything else feels a bit like a crapshoot and like luck of the draw if it works for you or not. So the signal response principle says that your body is always responding to the signals it receives, which means it can always respond and change. And responding can be getting better at something, whether getting better at it is like getting faster or getting a tissue that feels better instead of a tissue that hurts or making joints more flexible and mobile instead of joints that feel crunchy and painful and nasty. Our bodies are always responding, but it's up to us to coordinate the signals that we send so that our body can respond in the way that we want. And I know so many folks out there are like, yeah, but, yeah, but, and then they tell me their special circumstance. Yeah, but I had this, this, and this happened to me. And I always try to remind folks that, um, to put it starkly, there is one too late moment in this lifetime and it's the day you die. That's the point when it's too late to change something about your body. Um, When my father died when I was very young, um, I was 17 and it was super traumatic. Um, I got that like full frontal view of what too late looks like. And one, I don't wish that on anybody. But two, I think sometimes we need like a stark slap in the face to remind us like, no, no, as long as you are alive, even if you've had a catastrophic injury that completely derailed your plans to be an endurance athlete, you still can do something. And, and that shifts the game then, because then you go, okay, it actually isn't too late. And then as I lay out with all my coaching clients and in my book, like there are so many things we can do. We just need to go on this journey to hit the right stuff and we'll get the outcomes that we want. I love it. And Yeah, I think this idea that it's too late is very much a mistake, especially among runners, because running is one of these sports that you can do for a very, very long time. It's not like basketball. You know, my first love was basketball. And there are very few people that play basketball as adults because it's just more difficult. You need other people, you need equipment, you need a special place to do it. And it it makes me sad when runners in particular consign themselves to, well, I'm going to feel this like this forever. And then that kind of ruins their experience of the sport for quite a long time. And, you know, I worked with a runner who was 72, 73 years old a couple years ago, and he couldn't run a marathon. He kept getting injured. And, you know, when you're in your seventies, trying to run marathons, that's very difficult. I only wish I have those physical capabilities when I'm that age, but he improved things and he got better. And he not only started running marathons again, but he actually started running good marathons. And 
I think it's I think it's hard for a lot of runners in particular to understand that that signal response uh, that that system that exists in our body because you know all we know is running and so it can be a little different or difficult to learn what other signals we could give our body to help us heal or help us get stronger or just more capable so that we're not always feeling you know like we're going to get injured with the next step that we take what are some of the what are some of the favorite signals that you like to introduce to athletes that really help them better adapt to their training to become a little bit more unbreakable yeah I, the very first one i start with from a physical sense is building their six pillars of an unbreakable body that's a, a system i developed years ago which are six areas of the body that when they have enough of what they need, you have this incredible base upon which you can layer lots more things. And what people always forget is that this very valuable base that you're building, because of course a lot of athletes are like, well, but that takes me away from like the running I want to do. It's like a detour. I don't really want to go back and like work on this stuff. However, there are two things that our body needs in good supply to have a long, consistent running career that feels good, that isn't sidelined year after year by injuries and then you're canceling races and all of that. And it's it's two things actually that ecosystems in nature have. And we also, as humans who live in body ecosystems, we also have this. And it's resilience and resistance. We need to have resilience so that when something happens, um, someone I was working with this morning randomly twisted their ankle yesterday. Like they didn't expect it. They weren't planning on it. They weren't overtraining and twisted their ankle. They just twisted their ankle and now they have a sprained ankle. That person needs to be resilient so that they can bounce back faster from these little or big things that happen. And then resistance, we need to be resistant to twisting your ankle, overtraining, um, a big training week when you're kind of hitting that peak, you know, week of 20 miles or whatever. We need to be resistant to these things that we're dealing with so that we have more we can do before we actually do break down and have an ache or a pain or an injury that happens. So when you build your six pillars of your unbreakable body, you're not only making a base of fitness that supports you through your season and your off season, it also makes you more resilient and more resistant to the things that sometimes you're just not going to like, you might've overtrained, but also most of the time, some of the stuff happens is like, you fall or the dog gets under your feet or you slept wrong and life happens and you get these little tweaks. And wouldn't it be nice to be more resistant to those so that you don't get thrown off when they happen? It's so funny you mention it and describe it like that because I actually just filmed a video talking about your injury insurance policies and how there's certain things you can do in your training that give you a little bit of a buffer to make mistakes with your training. And it's funny, you're talking about twisting your ankle. Nobody plans for that. You know, it's not like you go out for a trail run and you're like, I'm going to try to twist my ankle today. But these things happen. Just like if you go on a group run and you end up running two miles more than you really should have. Or if you did a workout with the club and you ran two more repetitions than your body was really ready for, or if you just ran it all too fast, there's all these things that we do that you can label training errors or mistakes. And those athletes that are more resilient to injuries or resistant to them, I, I love the, the two-part concept there, are just not going to get injured as frequently. And then when they do, they're going to be able to bounce back much more quickly. And, you know, this this discussion of how the body is an ecosystem, I think is, is really resonates with me as a running coach, because it means that you're not just going to focus on one form of exercise like running and expect to have a well-rounded, healthy, robust ecosystem. You know, I actually like to tell runners to think of themselves as athletes who specialize in running because it's just a mindset shift that helps them get into the habit of strength training and doing cross training and doing drills and plyometrics and all sorts of other forms of exercise that aren't just running. And when it comes to athletes like runners who tend to do, you know, very one or two dimensional type of sport, how do you encourage them to focus on their body as an ecosystem? Maybe you could talk a little bit about those six pillars. For sure. And I think my experience, I've, I've coached endurance athletes at the gym I owned in Illinois for many years, and now all my work is online, and I still get a good, a good amount of endurance folks coming through. Um, 
I hate to say it. We're all humans. It's okay. I was like this too, but so often athletes have to get to the point of breakdown to where they just can't tolerate being broken anymore before they open their eyes to do more things to prevent that in the future. And my goal with my book and my coaching and everything I share online is to help folks not need to get to that point to realize like, oh, wait a second, this is really important. It's worth my time. It's worth my attention. It actually is going to make me better, even though right now it's not running and running is what I want to be doing. Um, so that folks can actually start to take on this, this building. I love that you said robust. What a great word, like to become a more robust athlete, um, so that they don't have to hit that like breakdown point. I had a gal one year that, um, perfect example of this. She had year after year after year triathlete had been just constantly getting injured and would race injured and would never really be performing the way she wanted to because she was constantly getting injured. Um, and she didn't do anything about it for movement, movement wise for three years. What she did do was go, Oh, maybe I need some pain reliever. Oh, maybe I need a massage. Oh, maybe I need all of these like external things, which you might to some degree need that. But you have to remember the signals we're sending to our body are not just external, like, oh, let's get a massage on our calves or something like that. It's also what movements are you doing? How are you strengthening your body? As you said, in this really like diverse way that isn't just a linear, very narrow scope of I run and I ride my bike, you know, or something like that. So I introduced her to training with the six pillars and I can outline what each of those are next. And we spent a whole year working on that. And she decided to take the year to just have fun racing, you know, kind of whatever came up locally that sounded fun. And she had a nice season. And by the time we got to the next season, she was like ready to race and ready to race hard. And all of a sudden she went from being kind of your classic age group athlete to winning her age group in everything she did. And I was like, you're 50. It's not like she miraculously hit like her prime at 22 where she's all of a sudden going to be the gold medal athlete. She's 50 and had been through five plus years of racing at that point. And the only thing she had changed was that she had started focusing on sending these internal signals of strength training, mobility work, body care that support all the other training she was doing. And it built her this nice base that she could rely on. And like you know so well, when we get injured, we then can't train the way we want to. So then we lose ground on building our zone two fitness and building our speed and building our technique and so on and so forth. So she didn't lose that ground. And then she was able to have this incredible season and just carried that on from that point forward. So I think we should probably definitely go over the six pillars since I've like mentioned it a few times now and how important they are. So uh, the way I usually introduce them on you know, podcasts and interviews and things like that is from the ground up because it's pretty easy to picture them that way. In my book, I do it a little bit differently, but um, we'll start here at the floor. So the first pillar is strong feet. And we need to have strong feet, not only because they carry us, obviously, um, but everybody knows how bad foot injuries are for trying to get around and get through because every move you make hurts. On top of that, people often forget that feet are very sensory for our brain. They input a lot of information to our brain, which our brain then uses to coordinate things like muscle contractions, organization of structures of our body. So like posture and joint movement and range of motion and things like that. So the more sensory information we can provide to our feet or through our feet to our brain, the better off we're going to be. So I teach people through exercise, shoe choices, lifestyle habits, and things like that, how to build strong feet. Moving up from there, the next pillar is mobile hips. And I think we all know like how uncomfortable it is when your hips are tight. You like, you can just tell that you're not having as good of a stride as you want. You can't do the squats very well because your hips are bothering you or you get the little crunchy sensation inside of your hip. And so when folks are building hip mobility, we're not only making the hips more flexible, but we're also what people never realize is building strength because the way we expand mobility or flexibility or range of motion, whatever you want to call it, is by actually strengthening the range of motion itself. And so all my athletes were like, I don't want to do mobility work. I don't want to do the extra stretching. I don't want to work on that. I want to work on strength and power and all these things. I remind them, well, you're doing that when you build your mobility with the right exercises. So moving on from mobile hips, next we have strong glutes. That's the third pillar of an unbreakable body. And 
as athletes, especially runners know, glute strength is a big area of opportunity. So many of us don't have strong glutes because of sitting in chairs and we've never put some dedicated effort into it. And maybe our hip flexors are really tight and that's contributing to some weakness in the glutes. And so I, I really focus with my folks on building strong glutes so that not only can that give them propulsion as they walk or run or ride their bike, um, but also it's a really good proxy for the rest of your body. If you don't have strong glutes, chances are you've got areas of opportunity for strength in other parts of your body as well. Then moving on up from there, strong torso is the next pillar of an unbreakable body. And I think a lot of athletes will think of power and stability in their core muscles. And a strong torso is that, but it's so much more than that. So the strong torso pillar actually runs from the vocal folds of the neck all the way down to the pelvic floor and from the muscles that attach on the back of the spine all the way around to the front. And it includes your rib cage and your pelvis. And when we build all of those things so that, for instance, you can breathe as optimally and efficiently as you possibly can, whether you're at rest or you're doing cardio, um, when we make it so that you stabilize just enough in the right areas at the right times so that you have a stable base in the center of your body, but not so much bracing and stability that for like a lot of folks deal with, you develop incontinence or where you pee a little bit when you sneeze or when you're running. That's part of building a strong torso. Moving up from there, the next pillar is mobile shoulders. And like mobile hips, we all know when our shoulders aren't very mobile, we might get neck pain, jaw pain, shoulder pain, stiff necks, um, you can't, you know, reach forward as far in your swim stroke, um, on your bike, you might feel some pain in the front by the bicep tendon. And those are all things that we can address by building up again, the mobility, which in turn becomes strength for the shoulders. And then finally, strong posture is the last pillar. And most folks today think of posture as, you know, chest up, shoulders back. Let me hold this position. This is what a good runner looks like. In fact, I can remember more than a decade ago, going to like a track workout and being like, okay, how, like they were going to take photos for us so we could see our form as we were running. And I was like, oh, I know what a runner is supposed to look like. Cause I see it in like magazine ads and things like that. And I looked like a runner. I looked with the really good form, but the way I was doing it was by holding excessive tension in areas of my body where I should not have been holding excessive tension. And folks need to remember excess tension in certain areas means you're going to overwork certain areas and you're probably going to underwork other areas. And some of these overuse issues we see aren't just because you did too many miles or because you did too many reps in the weight room, but also because you're carrying too much tension on tissues that weren't really built to handle that kind of tension. So with the strong posture training, I'm giving my folks exercises and training drills to help them actually find more positions they can manage with just the right amount of tension. And the side effect of that is that your brain goes, oh, we can manage all these different positions. So I will grant you all of them and allow you to be in these positions without having to strain so hard to get there. Wow. There's so much there. And I, I was thinking to myself that I have something to say about each pillar and how they're so important for runners, maybe with the exception of shoulders. <laughs> Everything else is so directly applicable. And maybe we can we can focus a little bit on this strong torso concept because i think a lot of runners are familiar with the topic of core exercises you know we've been told for 10 15 plus years you know if you want to be a strong runner you have to have a strong core and i've always thought that that is true with the caveat that strength isn't the only thing that you need. Like you were talking about, you need to be able to move in different positions. You need to be able to breathe more effectively. And one of the things that when I look back on my running career in hindsight, one of the things that I learned in college, almost because I just had to, you know, you're kind of thrown into, okay, you're going to run 85 miles a week. You're going to do two brutal workouts a week plus a race. And especially with cross country, when you're navigating technical terrain and lots of hills and, you know, trail surfaces like that, it becomes really important to know how to breathe because, you know, you can't breathe the same as you are trying to fly down a hill at almost max speed when, as opposed to when you're climbing that hill and you're going a little bit slower or when you're 600 meters from the finish line of a race and you are going as hard as you possibly can and your breathing is just ragged, you know, you can't control it at that point. There's a certain point you just have to let go. And I was just wondering if you could speak to the benefits of 
controlling your breathing and being more almost athletic with your breathing and having more variability with the type of breathing that you can do depending on the situation that you're in. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head there with your variability word. I really like that. I just, man, yes, it's that exactly. So I I think breathing is very du jour right now. Like there's books about it. There's programs, there's Wim Hof that like, if you are in the athlete world at all, you probably have stumbled across someone teaching about how important breathing is. Here's the problem though. As my mentor said to me one time, most of that stuff out there is the what it's hold your breath for this long. It's um, cl- put tape over your mouth when you sleep so that you only breathe through your nose. It's, it's, it's what are you supposed to do? First though, needs to be the how. The how of how we breathe is so important. So we have to back up a little bit and think about, well, what's the point of breathing? Well, that should be pretty obvious. It's to keep us alive. If we stop breathing, our brain is going to freak out and try to find a way to breathe so that we can stay alive. So knowing that, our brain will always find a way And so that means it will move everything from nostrils, mouth, throat, neck, shoulders, chest, sides of the ribs, backs of the ribs, fronts of the ribs, belly, pelvic floor. It will move all of these things in whatever way is most efficient with the caveat that that's what the body can find. So to your point about variability, If you are unable to fully expand your rib cage in all the directions that it should expand and it should move front to back, both both the front and the back should go front and back. The sides should come out to the sides. We should have an appropriate amount of expansion up top as we do compared to the bottom. Just that alone, and that's one little microcosm of breathing. If we don't have all of that, our brain's like, well, dude, we have to stay alive, so let's find something else. And most commonly, you'll start to see The neck muscles start to lift to help us breathe. Our shoulders start to rise to assist in the process. And we may start to find that our belly muscles start to do more of like a belly style breathing um, rather than uh, doing what they're supposed to do, which is actually help us helping us exhale and get the oblique workout that comes with that. So our brain will always do that. It's always like, I'm looking for any way I've got. If you don't have as many ways as possible to breathe, that means you'll have the one way that you've got, and you're going to run that baby till the cows come home. That's how you're going to breathe all the time. And I, I actually, if I could share, I, I can speak to this and then we'll circle back around to the the finishing up of the breathing part. But I had a breathing issue for a good 30 years. I, from the time I was in junior high track, when I would have to run the 200, which is the worst race on the planet, in my opinion, maybe second to the 800, but I would still choose an 800 over a 200 any day. Um, I would, feel like I was gasping and choking and they thought I had asthma, which like, that was kind of like, well, what's wrong with you? must be asthma. Here's an inhaler. And that didn't really work. And then it would go on to like, even in in my casual runs. And when I'd go on bike rides and especially when I'd go hiking and have a, like a pack on me for the day, I would always struggle to breathe. And then it started progressing into my daily life where I would feel like I'd have to sigh a lot or kind of gasp to get a full breath in, or I feel like I'd yawn all the time to try to get air in. Anyway, suffice to say, it was a pretty significant problem in my life. And like the athletes I was telling you about earlier, I didn't do anything about it for a really long time. I had to get to the point of being like, this is horrific. I cannot live like this anymore. So I started working with who the man who became my mentor on this breathing stuff. And He really invited me to see how the only way I had to breathe was to go up my neck and into certain parts of my chest. And what that did was really limit my running because then I was unable to keep my heart rate lower to then build my base of kind of zone two fitness and kind of that endurance pace. Couldn't do that. So I was constantly up above my anaerobic threshold. Never could get faster because as soon as my heart rate would go up, I'd start having to try to get air in however I could. And it was just a hot mess. It made it really hard to be an athlete on all all senses. Um, But after starting to work with him, we started to actually engage my obliques, which, as I said, helped to close the rib cage and expel that air out so that I actually could get a fuller inhale in and have the proper diaphragm dissension that then allowed me to have a longer exhale, which helps to keep my nervous system more calm instead of being up in that fight or flight response. It allowed me then to get more air in when I inhaled. So when I did want to go faster or like, I like to swim now. So sometimes I want to do several strokes before my breath. 
I could start to do that. So then my fitness started to improve. In addition, when I had that 30 years of that problem with breathing, I would chronically have neck pain and especially right shoulder pain. And when I'd run, I'd have stitches in my right side, no matter what I tried. And there's so many tricks on the internet to try for all these things. Once we started to get the right structures and tissues to move in the right directions at the right times in the right amounts and with the right coordination, breathing became something that had variability for me. So then I could breathe at rest. I could breathe under stress. I could breathe any way I needed to breathe. And now I know what it feels like to breathe that way. So when I, for example, I had a very stressful week, the week the book came out because there was some chaos as usual behind the scenes. And I felt myself going back to that old pattern, that singular pattern of breathing I had before. I could feel it setting in because I was so stressed. I then knew what to do, what parts of my body I had to start moving again to get air into them so that my body could go, oh yeah, we don't have to do it just this one way. We can breathe all of these ways and spread the work around to the rest of the system. And so when folks are thinking about, okay, yeah, I do Wim Hof or I do um, yoga breathing or meditation breathing, that's awesome. I would also encourage you to learn a little bit more about the how of breathing and what should move when, so that you can apply that to the what of your breathing practice. And in my book, I have a book bonus that I include that gives you some guidelines about the first and most important exercise I teach everybody for breathing and the strong torso pillar. So folks can follow along with that. Um, And I also include it in the book too, but um, you can watch a video of me doing it at the book bonus page on my website. But when you do that, one of the fun side effects is that your torso actually gets stronger because abs are made for breathing. They're made to help you breathe. And when you're breathing efficiently and with good variability of how you can do it, that means those obliques and your TVA, they're all squeezing every time you breathe and thus they're getting stronger. And one more little aside, and then I'll shut up about breathing. When I first started working on that breathing work, I couldn't believe how sore my obliques were. It was like they'd never worked in my life, which my mentor's like, they haven't. They've never worked for you. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. But they were so sore because they'd never done their job as breathing muscles. And that is available to everyone. I'm really glad you talked about how just the act of proper breathing is going to really help you develop a stronger core and torso because by using those muscles appropriately, then you're, you're actually using them. And and if you're using them under stress, like if you're doing a hard workout, you're doing a, you know, a a two and a half hour run out on the trails where it's hilly or something like that, then you're, you're definitely going to have a lot more experience like that. And man, it it just reminds me of my college days where I would jokingly say that I had a a skinny pack (laughs) because, I had a great eight pack, but I really didn't do too much strength training. And it was just because I was running so much that it probably, I probably just had great control over all of my core muscles. And that really helped them, you know, develop that kind of ability to have variability with their movement. And and I think that's really important. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about personalized custom body care, which is something that you talk more about in your book. And I I really like this because, you know, every runner has downloaded some free training plan online and then it didn't really work out for them. And, And I think a lot of the times we run into issues when we try to just incorporate a cookie cutter mentality to our, our exercise or our training how can athletes actually figure out what their body needs? Because especially for runners, it seems like we're so reactive all the time. You know, we're not proactively taking care of our needs. We're just running. And then when something breaks down or something starts to hurt, then all of a sudden we go into, you know, body care mode. But how can we figure out what we need ahead of time? Yeah. And that's really important too. And in this day and age, I mean, it's been like this for 20 years, but social media doesn't help. You can always see what other people are doing. And there's some like tiny bit of our brain that goes, should I be doing that too? Will that work for me too? I bet that'll work for me too. It worked for them. Why wouldn't it work for me? And what gets lost in that, whether you're looking at an athlete, like an Olympic level athlete or some professional that you really admire, or you're looking at just like Susie who you follow on Instagram, who's a runner, like it doesn't matter when you're looking outwardly, 
there's something that gets lost and that's your inner knowing or what we call kind of autonomy, knowing what's right for you. In addition, unfortunately, for those of us who have had injuries, we more than likely have come across at least one clinician or doctor who's been like, this is what you got to do. And there's like no real, like, what do you think you need to do? Or what do you think would be right for you? Um, and so we kind of lose ourselves to like, well, the doctor said I have to do this. I guess I do. Even though I, part of my soul is like, man, maybe I should get a second opinion before I do this kind of invasive surgery or something like that. So in my book, one of the, I, I devote a whole section of the book to this. I teach folks something that I teach my clients and it's called the explorer's mindset. And there's three parts to the explorer's mindset. But first let's begin with the exploring part, which is part one. So to an adopt an explorer's mindset you're first going to go from an exasperated, ugh, when stuff happens. Like we all been there. We're like, oh God, this again, my ankle, my hip, whatever. We're going to change that into a very inquisitive, huh, what's that all about? And that begins our journey into exploring. So as the explorer of your body ecosystem, I want you to think about the fact that no one's ever been here before when it comes to your body. You're the only person who's ever lived here and you're the only person who's ever going to live here. So you can't like wait for some other expert to show up and tell you how to build a house in your body ecosystem. So you need to start exploring and you need to see what's here, what's not here. What am I sensing? What responses am I noticing? What responses have I been ignoring that I like maybe should be paying attention to? From there, you're going to gather up a bunch of data And that's all this is. If your knee hurts, it's not that you're a bad person and you did something wrong. It's just data telling you something's going on to which my body is responding with knee pain. Okay. Now we can move into the second part of the explorer's mindset and that's experiment. So we start by exploring and collecting data. Then we decide my knee pain is something I want to work on. I'm going to do some experiments to try to figure it out. And we then go through the scientific method. We say, okay, well, Let's look at what might be contributing to that. What signals might there be? And I have a whole framework I lay out in the book that'll really help people do this at a granular level. What signals might be contributing to this? And a lot of folks will say, well, I don't know, Kate. I don't know because I didn't get a degree like you did in movement and exercise science. I don't know. And this is when I always say, I know, but you can find out. Humans have been finding out since the dawn of time. They figured out what plants were poisonous and which ones tasted really yummy. They figured out how to build houses and move water and do all kinds of stuff. Our ancestors have done amazing stuff. You are no different. You can figure this stuff out, especially these days when we've got experts who do podcasts and who have programs and who write books and who have free content on their website. There's so much you can learn. So you need to decide, okay, well, what of these signals I might want to experiment with? And in the example of knee pain, maybe you're like, well, I read about how having tight hips could contribute to knee pain. Okay. I think the experiment I'm going to do is to work on my tight hips with this program I got from so-and-so coach. Great. How long are you going to do it? That's the other thing people mess up. They're like, I tried it. It didn't work. And I'm like, well, how long did you do it for? Were you consistent? Did you control the other variables in your life or did you do what so many of my clients have done, which I have too, so I have no judgment. You tried that HIP program and you did this other thing and you did this other thing and you started a new diet and you switched up your shoot and you did 20 things at once. And now you're like, I don't even know what made a difference here. So you have to be really- Kate, I feel attacked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. We want to make change. I get it. But to do a good science experiment, you have to control some of your variables. So then you're going to do your experiment and go, I'm going to work on my hips. Then you get to the end of the experiment. And let's say your knee pain's gone. Well, that's a pretty good sign. You could probably then take that, what you just did and say, I think that worked for me. I'm going to put that in the third part of Explorer's Mindset. And that's curate. You're going to curate your personalized protocol of things that work for you. And so when it comes to knee pain, This HIP program, that's now going to sit in your curated protocol. And when you get knee pain in the future, if it ever happens again, you can go to that first and go, I think that's going to work. Now, what if people are like, well, what if it doesn't work? Because we're all all sometimes a little bit cynical and we're like, yeah, it's probably not going to work. I'm probably stuck with this. This is probably just my life now. I have knee pain forever. Like we've all done it. Um, If it doesn't work, that's actually good because now you know that hips maybe weren't the issue for you. And you're one step closer to figuring out what actually is the issue. The only way we get to the result we're looking for is by trying things and moving ourselves closer to the bullseye. 
And I wish we could all be so lucky as to hit the bullseye on the first shot, but that's not always the way it's going to work. And so as an explorer of your body, you need to be willing to say, well, dang, that didn't work the way I was hoping it would. Okay. I'm going to use that information to now set up my next experiment. Maybe I need to hire somebody to help me with my knees themselves, like a, a doctor or something like that. Maybe I need to change my running mileage. Maybe there's something else I need to look at. And every experiment you do moves you closer. And as you do these experiments, you are going to collect a series of things that work for you, for back pain, for general energy levels, for having the best run you've ever had in your lifetime. You're going to collect all of these and you're going to start curating them. And folks can curate them in their mind, but I really encourage you instead to actually write them down because when we're in crisis, especially, we forget everything and we panic and we throw the kitchen sink at our body. I have an actual journal that I um, offer as a companion book. It's called the How to Be Unbreakable Field Journal. You can get that if you'd like, but a notebook works fine too. Or your phone, taking notes on your phone. Hey, when my knees hurt, make sure I start up on my hip training program again. It can be as simple as that, but it will help you remember what you need and the details of it when the time comes when you need it. And so through that method of using the explorer's mindset, you can really, really become an expert in your body. and in a time where God forbid you are sitting in a doctor's office and they're like, I think we need to do surgery on this. You can go, okay, I feel centered and like the expert here. And I agree, let's do it. And here's the training I'm going to do before and after to be ready. Or I don't, I think I need to get a second opinion. I'm maybe I'll come back to you. And then you go do that. Or you say, no, I don't think it's that serious. I know what I need to do. And I think I'm going to go do it but it puts you in the driver's seat of your body and in your life. And I think that skill alone makes someone feel empowered enough to know that there's nothing they're going to face that they can't handle. I think what you just described is one of the big differentiating factors between a successful runner and a runner who struggles to find success because that explorer's mindset, that sort of testing approach is what runners really do in their training all the time, you know, with workouts, with, you know, certain training strategies. And those runners who are actually paying attention to their training and to how their bodies are responding to that training, those runners who are consistently training and trying to get better. So they're trying a lot of things, they're pushing the envelope, they're experiencing setbacks and having to deal with those setbacks. I think that's the only way to become a good runner and to really understand your body, to understand what kind of training that you really respond well to, what kind of training you don't respond well to. And only through years and years of this explorer's mindset does an athlete really start to understand their body and, and what really works for them. And, you know, a, a lot of my listeners and a lot of other runners know, uh, a strength routine I developed a long time ago called the ITB rehab routine. I didn't name it quite well. I should have just called it a, a hip and glute oriented strength routine. But this was a direct result of exactly what you're discussing right now. Because I had IT band syndrome uh, after my first marathon. Uh, I struggled to run for about six months. I saw four physical therapists. I could tell that most of them weren't giving me effective treatments for my ITBS. And so with a lot of personal research online, trying to figure out the injury, seeing all these PTs, I developed this routine that got me back on the road and really helped me to, you know, resume my training again. And it's been really helpful for other runners too. But, you know, I'm the first one to acknowledge that, you know, this was built for me and what I really needed at the time. And so, uh, you know, hearing you describe this, I'm just brought back to this time in my life where I had this major problem. And like you said, no one was coming to save me. You know, I spent way too much time on the couch watching reruns of House, feeling bad for myself. But <laughs> only when I actually got in the driver's seat and was like, okay, these physical therapists are doing their best, but I shouldn't expect, you know, my hero to come in on a white horse and all of a sudden give me a new leg to run with. And so that idea of exploring your body and, and really understanding how it responds to different stimuli, I think is, is just so important for runners because that's all we have. You know, <laughs> we need to, we need to understand the language our body is speaking so that we can understand it and we can respond to it. Yeah. 
That's amazing. And it makes you an expert in yourself because I love what you said about how you're like, I made this program. It's really great for lots of people, but it's made for me. Your mileage may vary kind of thing, right? And you have to be able to know and listen to your body and how it's communicating with you through these responses so that number one, you know how to adapt literally any program to make it customizable to you. When I, like I'll I'll have a Becoming Unbreakable program coming with the book here and I don't know when this will go live, but it'll be coming. Um, But even within that, it's okay, user of this program, who are you? Let's assess your body. Let's have you learn what your body needs. Now, here are some things for you to choose from, kind of choose your own adventure style Because if I, even if I lay out the most amazing scientifically driven fitness program, it still doesn't account for everybody. Everybody has unique little differences. And even within your week to week life, you might have a stressful week and you can't really quite train the way you normally would. You might have a death in the family and you're going to have a month of chaos as you help clean the house and take care of, you know, stuff like that you're going to have to adapt your training. And rather than just falling off a cliff with your training or driving yourself into the ground, you can tweak it so that you know what you're supposed to be doing for your body. In addition, by listening in like that, you then start to pick up on more body responses like, oh, there's that little niggly feeling in my low back again. And you catch it before it becomes a major something that you have to be sidelined by. You're able to tune in and go, that doesn't quite feel great. I'm going to keep an eye on that. Hmm, that's been going on for a few days now. I'm going to sidetrack here and investigate this and see if there's something I need to tend to. And that is one way that people who are unbreakable stay more resistant to injuries because they catch stuff way sooner than someone who's not really tuned into their body would. And as someone who was not tuned into their body when I was much younger, it's horrible to be sidelined like that. Like you literally smack yourself on the face, like, what was I thinking? Now I've got this whole derailment happening of my training program, it's going to be forever before I'm back to it. Why didn't I listen sooner? The answer to that, why is because you didn't. And maybe next time you, next time you will. Yeah. And I think this, this sort of creates a scenario for runners where over time they will create this whole laundry list of their personal quirks, things that they respond well to and things that don't really agree with them. So I know for me personally, I can't wear running shoes that have a flared heel very idiosyncratic little quirk of mine, but they just do not make my legs feel good. And I can run on the left side of the road with the camber sloping down towards the left, but I can't really run on the right side of the road. And that's just because of, you know, some imbalances that I have. And every runner is going to have these little weird idiosyncrasies. And if you know about them, you can you can mitigate them, you can work around them, you can use them to your advantage. And so this whole idea of just getting to know your body very intimately and how it responds to different types of exercise and stress is is very attractive to me. Uh, because ultimately, it's going to mean runners are going to get hurt less frequently. And, and that's just a, a proposition that I really like. Now, when it comes to injuries, Kate, you also talk about tissue tolerance. And this phrase gets me very excited as a running coach who's so passionate about preventing injuries. So for endurance runners, what does tissue tolerance mean to you and and how can we work on it? Yeah, this is really important, especially for runners. So I found um, this model of tissue tolerance that I really liked because it, it took out all the complexity and any human can relate to this strategy of tissue tolerance. Um, and you don't have to know all the science behind it. You can just go, oh, I get that. And then you'll know what to do. It was fir- first put forth by a doctor named Scott Dye, who was a knee doctor in California. And his zones of tissue tolerance model, there are four zones. And if we picture like a basic graph where there's like an x-axis and a y-axis, and we, we all can kind of mentally picture that. If you start down where the X and the Y axis meet each other, kind of that lowest point on the graph, down there is the first zone. And Dr. Dai called this the zone of subphysiologic underload. That last word is probably the one that catches people the most, underload. Ah, okay, we didn't load it enough. In that zone, when a tissue is in that zone, it isn't loaded enough to maintain tissue homeostasis. And tissue homeostasis is just 
when everything's working well for tissues, they're regenerating appropriately and in a timely manner. They're not overly inflamed. They're maintaining themselves. They're maintaining their structure and their function. So we want tissue homeostasis most of the time. When people are undertrained, and this could be someone who's bedridden, it could be someone who has their leg in a cast after they broke their ankle. It could be someone who's off the couch and hasn't done a lot in a while, and now they're going to start running again. In that zone of subphysiologic underload, we really don't want to spend a lot of time there, and we want that zone to be as small as possible. Because if you have a big zone of underloaded tissue, that means a lot of stuff is going to irritate those tissues. Because as soon as you overload those tissues that have been underloaded, they're going to be like, whoa, dude, what are you doing? Like, uh, inflammation, unhappiness, no homeostasis. So that's the first zone. The second zone, which is the biggest zone that we have, um, is called the zone of homeostasis. <laughs> and so in this zone of, of homeostasis for our tissues, everything's working well. You can tolerate loads on your body and the tissues can maintain themselves. You can go for a run at a certain distance or a certain pace or a certain incline and your tissues can maintain themselves. You can do box jumps in the gym if that's what your tissues are tolerant of. And so we want that zone to be very big because we want lots of tissue force to be tolerant uh, inside of our tissues without, you know, causing breakdown and, you know, inflammation and all sorts of stuff like that. So if we move up into the right from there into the third zone, Dr. Dye called this the zone of supraphysiologic overload. And again, just focus on that last word, overload. Well, when we train our bodies with fitness, whether it's in the gym or out on the road putting miles in, we need to dip our toe into that overload zone because that's where we create change. However, God love athletes, but they love that zone and they go there all the time and they do way too much work in this zone of overload because it's hard and it's fun and you're sore for days. So that makes it feels like you did something. However, every time we dip our toe into the zone of overload, our bodies have to work to get back to homeostasis. And when they can, that's great. That's how we get stronger, faster, and better. But when they can't, and then we continue to apply load, we're going to start having tissue breakdown at a rate that is greater than our tissue restoration. And so when someone's thinking about tissue zones and loads that they put on their body, something like if you're off the couch and you go out and you do five miles tomorrow and you're like purely off, like me sitting on the couch doing nothing, going to five miles, even as someone who I think is athletic would be a lot for my body to tolerate. That would be too much for my body to respond to and actually heal from better for me probably to do maybe a walk run program initially and only go for a short period of time because that would keep me in my zone of tissue tolerance. And that would allow me to build my capacity to eventually work in that zone of overload for small periods. Then finally, the fourth zone of tissue tolerance is not really a zone of tolerance at all. It's the zone of structural failure. And that's when you break your bone, when you tear your ACL, when you um, have a labrum tear in your shoulder, for example. Um, we want to avoid this zone at all costs, because that's when we have huge setbacks and it takes us a really long time to get back to what we were doing before. Sometimes you can't avoid it. Like we said back at the beginning, sometimes you trip over the dog and you break your ankle. Unfortunately, that stinks, but you, you couldn't have prevented that unless you could see into the future and like, no, to avoid that. Sometimes you get in a car accident. Sometimes just bad stuff happens. So we would like to be as tissue tolerant as we can the way we can be as tissue tolerant as we can be is have the biggest zone of work we do within our capacity, our current capacity of our tissues. That means like you probably talk about with your athletes a lot, most of your work is stuff that you can do. It's not stuff that you're struggling to reach for that premium level of intensity, distance, drive, weight, whatever. But to expand that zone of tissue tolerance, we do need to dip our toes into that zone of overload, that super physiologic overload. This is one reason it's really good to work with a coach, at least for an, a period of time so that you can learn how to do that effectively because humans are hilarious. They're like, Oh, the hard thing, I should do a lot of that. But when you work with a coach or follow a, a really good training plan, you start to see how they dip your toes over into that tough zone where you're like, Oh, this is kind of reaching for me. But then you get time to recover and do work in your zone of homeostasis, and you see how your fitness starts to improve over time. Now, I'm not saying you have to have a coach to do this. I think someone listening could go logically, oh, 
Most of my time should be in the tissue tolerance zone. A little bit of my time should be in this overload zone. I got to make sure I stay active in my off season to avoid the underload zone. And we always want to try to avoid the structural failure zone. And I think just with that, people can go, I'll stop at eight reps instead of pushing for 12 because Susie did 12. But, and I think I should compete with her, but I know my body well enough to say, I'm going to stop at eight. Yeah. And, and I think do repetitive stress injuries, are, are these the result of spending too much time in that overload zone where you're trying to gain fitness and, you know, typically runners, you know, an easy run isn't really going to prompt the adaptations that they're hoping for. So, you know, they'll try to make it harder or they'll try to go longer than they should have. Is that, is that where runners get into problems? Yeah, that's part of it. And with, um, overuse injuries, a lot of times too, they'll go too hard, but they'll also say, well, I wasn't doing anything. And so that's the second part of overuse injuries. This is why you need to build your six pillars so that you're dispersing forces appropriately throughout your body in every position and move that you make. And so if you, you, you don't disperse loads very well through your torso because you don't have a strong torso and strong posture. And so your low back really takes the brunt of the work that you're doing. Well, you might not have done too much in terms of lifted too much weight in the gym or made your run too hard and kind of ignored your coach's instructions. But the work that you did do is asking so much of your low back over and over and over again, that in your brain mentally, you're like, that wasn't too much, but your tissues were like, hello, this is too much because every rep you're putting tons of force into my low back and we're not really built to tolerate that. And so that's another way that these overuse injuries can arise. And so really getting this good scope of do all my tissues work the way they're supposed to? Do my structures stack up appropriately and efficiently? And am I dispersing forces in a way that really is effective for my body? And to your point about running, my favorite quote from one of my old running coaches is, make your hard workouts hard and your easy workouts easy. Stop hanging out in this middle zone that is neither hard nor easy that's where you run into trouble. And she would remind me of that because I hated zone two runs where I'm supposed to have it be easy and build my base and, you know, be like this, you know, conditioned person. And I would be like, no, nah, I think I'm going to run faster. And because I couldn't breathe, I was like, well, I'm heart rate's up anyways, may as well run faster. But that didn't, that's not what makes you better. You need to have that space between a little bit of overload and a lot of time in that zone of homeostasis where everything's really lovely for your body. Kate, can you also find yourself in an overloaded state by doing too much of what you're capable of? And so what I'm thinking right now is, you know, if you're in that, that phase of homeostasis, you know, for a lot of runners, that's just a really easy run, but they could go out and really easily run, let's just say 10 minute mile pace. And, and that's very comfortable for them, but they probably can't do it 10 miles day after day after day after day. So there's this element of you could actually be staying within your sort of zone of, of competence and tissue tolerance and homeostasis, but still find yourself overloaded just because you're doing too much there. Can you speak to that? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And we need to talk about the load on the tissues um, and it's, it's multidimensional. So it can be force on the tissue. So um, you do box jumps. And so the power of you exploding off the ground and landing on top of the box, right? And then coming back down. So the amount of force can contribute to overloading the tissue. The time duration can contribute to overloading the tissue. And I, I know I know those athletes well who are like, but I stayed in my easy zone. It was great. And I'm like, how many days in a row did you do it? Oh, it's, we're going on 15 days in a row now. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> so overall, time and volume of work that you're doing also can contribute to force on the tissue that becomes an overload, even though it's within your easy zone. And then another thing that contributes to that we have to, this is why it's kind of multidimensional is force on the tissue is also being registered as how, how much of a disparity is there from what you just did to what you did prior. So if you're off the couch and you're like, I haven't run at all in ever, and I'm, my first run out is going to be five miles with some like, I don't know, some challenging repeats in there. Right out of the gate, five miles is probably too much for most people's tissue tolerance because we have to remember, just because your mind and your heart may be able to do it and your lungs can carry you through, doesn't mean your tendons are tolerant. It doesn't mean that your ligaments and muscles and fascia are all tolerant of what you're doing. 
it doesn't mean that you're going to be able to process the natural inflammation that comes from doing something very exertion-based um, as efficiently and effectively as you could be. And so we have to almost rein ourselves in by knowing ourselves well enough to know that, yes, I want to run five miles today because I'm really motivated and ready to go. But really what would be better is walking a mile if we're at the, the starting point, right? And slowly building up our capacity so that there's never a ginormous jump between what we did previously, whether it was sedentary or active to what we're about to do. When there's a ginormous gap between those two things, your tissues are going to let you know that they are not in their zone of homeostasis for that yet. Yeah, for sure. And, and I love this idea that, you know, you can't really do much more than what you've done previously. And so, you know, when runners look at some pro athlete running 100 miles a week, well, they got used to that over many, many years. And, you know, it's this very gradual process over time. And, you know, it kind of brings me back to that, that testing approach and how we can really use that for our training too. You know, we can see how we respond to 30 miles a week, and then we can see how we respond to 32 miles a week. We're never going to go from 30 to 40 to 50 because that's sort of a recipe for, for injury. Um, and so Kate, I, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about some of these topics that runners care so much about staying healthy, about, you know, really understanding our body so that we can prevent our next big injury. And ultimately, improve our performances and become faster runners. And it all comes down to having that foundation where we can be more resistant to injury and resilient when we do get injured. So thanks so much for your time and your expertise. Uh, congrats again on the publication of your book, Becoming Unbreakable. I'm going to include links to that in your field journal in the show notes on strength running. Kate, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. What a great conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this conversation with trainer, author, and movement expert, Kate Galliette. You can learn more about her at theunbreakablebody.com. Now, if you enjoy the Strength Running Podcast, you can support us by supporting our sponsors. I believe in these companies. They help me publish all of these episodes, and they're doing great work for the running community. Inside Tracker is a company that I've been working with for years and I hope to continue for years to come. They're one of the most reputable personal blood testing companies that you can find. Founded in 2009 by aging, genetics, and biometric scientists to help you analyze your body's data and get a firm idea of how well you're responding to training. They have an ultra-personalized nutrition platform that helps you understand your body's biomarkers from stress hormones to testosterone to vitamin D and can help you figure out if you're overtraining, undertraining, optimally training, or maybe you have a health issue that might be affecting your running. But the best part is they give you these personalized optimal ranges for each biomarker so you know where you stand, and then a whole host of ways to improve them through diet, lifestyle, or exercise. I've personally gotten three ultimate tests from them, and the process is simple, it's easy, and it's very eye-opening if you haven't done a deep dive on your biomarkers just yet. Just a few weeks ago, I learned that my cortisol levels are elevated, as well as having low vitamin D. So now I know what I need to address. I'm not just shooting in the dark here, and I can keep my health moving forward. Go to insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning. You can see how you can save 25% off site-wide on any personalized blood test that they offer. Of all the purchases you can make for your running, this one can actually improve your performances. It's a wonderful opportunity, and you can see all the details at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning. I'm also grateful for the support of Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes comprehensive daily nutrition super simple. I personally struggle with eating healthy. What can I say? Pizza and fries are my kryptonite. So I'm finding their product AG1 really helpful, especially when I'm training really hard. One scoop a day gives me 75 vitamins and minerals and whole food sourced ingredients, including a greens superfood blend with things like sprouts and alfalfa, things you would never normally eat, probiotics for gut health, prebiotics to help those probiotics stay healthy, adaptogens for stress, and more. AG1 helps me fill in any nutrition gaps in my diet because I know I don't eat perfectly. And it gives me nice boost of energy and focus throughout the day. And with all three of my kids in school, 
I know I've got to support my immune system because I'm no match for little kid germs. But what I love about AG1 is that it changes over time. Over the last decade, they've made 53 improvements to the formula based on the latest research. And that's made these nutrients more absorbable and more rigorous with third-party testing. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Jason. You can see the great offer they've put together for podcast listeners. You'll get a year's worth of free vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. You can sign up for a single shipment if you just want to try it, or you can get a monthly drop if you want to make AG1 a part of your regular healthy lifestyle. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Jason to sign up today. That's all for me today, my friends. I'm so grateful for your support, for being part of this community, for your feedback, and of course, for your love of the sport. Until next time.